Welcome to the Luxury Listing Specialist Podcast with Michael Lafito, where top luxury agents reveal their best practices, plus interviews with real estate industry influencers, thought leaders, and luxury marketing experts. You'll come away from each episode with new strategies and tactics to dominate high-end homes in any market. And now for the latest episode of Luxury Listing Specialist. Here's your host, luxury real estate expert, coach, and trainer, Michael Lafito. Welcome back. Michael Lafito here. I'm excited about this week's guest. We're going to be talking about the importance of luxury appraisals when you are representing a seller, representing a buyer, and we have kind of the king of appraisals here, uh, somebody that I personally use in the Chicagoland market, uh, Mark Morgan. So uh, thanks for your time today. And um, we're going to be talking about a lot of different things today, but Mark has been a licensed appraiser for how many years? Well, licensing since 1992, but an appraiser since 1979. So so a lot of years here, longer than I've been in real estate since 2000, I personally have. So we're going to talk everything from the definitions of uh, an appraisal to a definitions of comp and we're going to be covering a lot of different things but we're also going to be talking about you know the four factors that determine value and a lot of different things here so first off um, you know we're talking about appraisals uh, mark many people what I, I call reactive versus proactive so let me first ask you ask you we're talking about high-end and unique properties here we're not talking about cookie cutter homes in regular subdivisions, but for unique uh, high-end or luxury properties uh, where there aren't a lot of true comps out there because it is custom or unique, do you recommend that the consumer, the seller, or maybe the agent representing the seller, do you recommend uh, in today's day and age where there's some online values that are you know, drastically off, do you recommend that they get what we call a pre-appraisal done? Absolutely. Uh- the online automated valuation models is what they call them, AVMs. They're typically hedonic models. You get what you pay for. There's no real analysis that goes into it other than someone collects information from various databases and then applies some algorithm of averaging to come up with the answers that people think are accurate. And nothing could be farther from the truth. They're, they're just It's just a group of numbers with someone's algorithm and you don't really know what they're what they use to arrive at their numbers. You know, last year we did a study. We looked at 10 of the top highest priced properties for sale in Illinois, and we compared their actual asking price to, I'm not going to mention the exact website, but one of these online uh, valuation websites that gives a, an estimate of value. In nine out of 10, uh, nine out of the 10, the online valuation price was significantly lower Seven out of the ten, the homes were priced 43%. The online evaluation was 43% of the actual price. So if the price was $10 million, the online evaluation came at $4.3 million. Michael Jordan's home home has been on the market for nearly seven years in Illinois. His home came in at 23% of the actual asking price. So online evaluation sites do not rely on those if you represent a seller or you are... Uh, a seller of a high-end and unique property, we recommend uh, you hire a professional like Mark 
Now, there's two types of appraisals out there. Appraisers, right? There's what we call, I think you said, field variety. Field variety. And that's more commercial industrial. and unique, industrial. Right. And then, of course, residential. Residential. So yes. when you're dealing with residential properties, you want to make sure you're uh, dealing with somebody that is a residential specialist versus a field variety is the term that you're using. Um, the other thing I want to talk to uh, about, uh, again, we're picking the brain of an appraiser out here. And again, uh, we're talking about high-end and unique properties. Um, you can't compare apples to apples with these properties. So talk to me about the four factors and, and the four factors uh, of value um, and go over each of them real quick just by name and then kind of go into depth on each, if you sure. would. So four factors of value, scarcity, desirability, utility, and purchasing power. So, so scarcity, utility, desirability, and purchasing power are the four factors that determine value. So you Any, as an anything, appraiser anything that has appraiser. value will have those four components in varying degrees. So obviously scarcity is supply and demand. How much, you know, buyer's market, if, it's, if there's very few or very, uh, if there's a pl uh, just an oversupply. Uh, sure. which is makes most luxury homes right now in the state of Illinois. Uh, and outside of Illinois. So scarcity, simple. Buyer market, seller's market. Again, we define a buyer's market is when there's seven or more months of inventory. Okay, so you really got to own your numbers in your local marketplace. Where do you get that number, seven, seven months? I mean... It so this is a number that uh, we, we, we're big into uh, keeping current matters. Uh, uh, Steve um, Harney okay. um, and... They come out with a terminology where it's four months or less is what we call a seller's market. Okay. Five or six months is kind of a wash, a neutral market. Okay. Seven or more months is what they call a buyer's market. And as you know, not just in Illinois, but in most marketplaces, the shift occurs at some price point. It might be a million dollars and above in Illinois. It could be in New York, 1.5, or it, it varies community to yep. community, even within a community. Yep. So, so scarcity. Again, supply and demand. Number two, utility. What, what, talk to me about utility. Well, you, you know, growing up when we were kids, I'm number five of seven children, so bedrooms were kind of an important thing. Uh, today, bedrooms are not nearly as important as they were 20 years ago, 30 years ago, because families simply aren't that big. But the space is there, and then by simple being there, it can be put to multiple different uses per So per, like functionality of, of the square yeah. footage? Some people use it as a sewing room, some people use it as an exercise room, maybe a craft room, maybe an all home office. Uh, just anything that other than a bedroom or you know just the fact that the space is there, it can be utilized for, for something. Okay. The bedroom factor, not nearly as important as people think because you can always convert space to what you need. Okay, so functionality, like we talk about open floor plans or, you know, in today's day and age, that formal living room is not as big of a deal. So when right. you go into a property, you're considering utility based on what today's buyers are really finding desirable. And right. that, that's a, a factor you weigh into evaluating of, of a property. Exactly. Utility and desirability kind of go mesh hand in hand. And So uh, number three is desirability. HGTV has what we call accelerated changes in the arts. Changes in the arts, you know, it's your typical decor of a house. 20 years ago, Honey Oak, everybody loved it. We had Honey Talking Oak. Talking about woodwork, Honey Oak. Woodwork. Honey Oak doors, we had Honey Oak cabinets, we had Honey Oak floors, we had Honey Oak trim. Today, if you have Honey Oak in your house, there's a real good chance that the market's going to resist the heck out of it because HGTV is showing espresso floors, dark gray floors, anything but Honey Oak. And so that 
results in a form of obsolescence. It's curable obsolescence because the market penalty for the color is greater than the cost to cure, which would be changing the color. And so uh, that would make the property more desirable if it had the right colors. Uh, okay, so, so Mark's talking about desirability, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but um, there's a term out there that most consumers, let alone most real estate agents, aren't familiar with, and it's called matched pairs. And a couple of years back, Mark introduced me this, uh, and matched pairs is basically, in layman's term, let's just say you have a subdivision when there, and there's been 10 sales in that subdivision in the last year. And five, have, five of those 10 sales, the homeowners didn't do a lot of updating when they sold the home. And the other five, they did some, some major renovations of kitchens and bathrooms, not just smoke and mirrors, not just paint or changing out light fixtures, but some, some real updating. And, that, and match pairs basically dissects those 10 sales. Five did little, five did a lot, and it compares basically how those, did, how those homes sold to the marketplace. How did the market respond to those? And it's fair to say that in today's market with desirability, if you make those improvements, those sellers have a higher probability of selling faster for more money, and, and the price per square foot will be a lot higher, right. correct? Right. In, in, in the, the match pairs examples I gave you, we had, I think, six or seven different properties. And you could see there's some adjustments for uh, physical characteristics of a property are pretty consistent across the board in most communities. But when you start getting into extensive and intensive renovations to a property, there is market considerations that have to be taken, taken into account. And the only way to do it is find those homes that have not been renovated and compare them to homes that have been renovated but you have to have renovated to renovated that shows that the, the, that market does support the work that was done, and this is the dollar amount. Uh, so yeah, so in this example, we have two similar properties, same subdivision, comparable one versus comparable two. Comparable one sold for $508,000. Comparable two sold for six fifty-five. So, you know, $147,000 more and sold quicker, 11 days versus 64. Two very similar properties. Property one didn't do much to it. No. Nope. Keep it simple. Property two did. Okay? So this is another important point. When you're trying to bring value to your consumers as an agent, we talk about content marketing. How do you position yourself as an agent, as a leading authority, as an expert? Knowledge is, is key. You grow your knowledge and your confidence will grow. But if your consumers realize that you know what the heck you're talking about, you can create videos and you can create marketing pieces. Thinking about selling in 2019, hey, before you invest any money in your home, contact me. I know what today's consumers are looking for. So then you get buyers calling you, or excuse me, sellers calling you. You go over to their home and you give some advice based on matched pairs and other examples like this. So, so that's what matched pairs is. Matched pairs is a term. You need to create your own matched pairs for your own particular community. So we're talking about four, circling back to the four factors that uh, def help define value. We talked about scarcity, number one. We talked about utility, okay, number two. Desirability, number three. Anything you want to add to any of those? Uh, just the combination of utility and desire desirability go hand in hand. Utility can be uh, open concept floor plans versus very compartmentalized floor plans. Okay. The open concept floor plan is highly desirable the compartmentalized are kind of a drawback. So you can have two buildings of the same size with the same room count with one having the open concept, 
the other being very compartmentalized, there will be a significant difference in value based on the compartmentalization versus open. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that takes what is utility, they both have very similar utility, but the desirability factor just you know, displays itself there. So that's why if you have two properties, you can't just look at price per square foot. You got one, two, three Elm Street at, you know, 300 square feet, uh, excuse me, 3,000 square feet, and it's making up a number, $200 a square foot. You can't look at the, the other home across the street that's on the market that's similar square footage. You can't just look at price per square foot. There's so many other factors that go into it, correct? Yes. Hey there, it's Michael Lafito. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. If you are interested in signing up for our luxury listing specialist certification, or if you want additional information on how you can dominate selling higher end homes in your marketplace, make sure you go to luxurylistingspecialist.com. Uh, number four uh, is purchasing power. Yes. Okay, so you got scarcity, utility, desirability, and number four is purchasing power. Talk to, talk to us a little bit about purchasing power. Oh. I was, when I entered the, the industry in the late 70s, interest rates were hovering around 7 to 8%. And then we go through uh, a period of 81, from 1980 to 82, where interest rates were in excess of 15, 16%. Uh, sky high numbers, even 18% in many places. So people simply could not afford a property based on what interest rates were, ch were, were being charged. So there, that's where contract sales came into play. If you took a $100,000 mortgage, and you sold it on contract at 10%, as opposed to letting a, a buyer go out and get his own mortgage at 18%, uh, actually 15%, the difference over a five-year period is $30,000 in interest. So that money at 10% goes in your pocket, at 15% it goes in the bank's pocket. So that same concept though, as we're in a rising interest rate market, it will nibble away at the potential purchasing power for a buyer because it's less money they have available for debt service, for, for the house because it has to go towards debt service. So purchasing power could also be, uh, other factors could be property taxes. Property taxes. You have one community and the property taxes are 24000 a year on a property versus 12000 That extra $1,000 a month goes affects against the, yep. the purchase power. Absolutely correct? does. Absolutely does. Okay. So purchasing power. So you got scarcity, utility, desirability, and purchasing power. Those are the four primary factors, not just you, but any licensed appraiser takes into account when determining value, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, all right, moving on. Um, just some kind of true and false, just you know, rapid fire type of things. Um, does um, what somebody have into the home, is that a, a huge factor when determining asking price? For example, as an agent, if you know, you're selling a home uh, let's just say for 1.1 million because that's what the owner has into it but all the data and, all, and there's and there is data to support pricing in the 900s based on comparable sales in the 900s does that 1.1 or what they have into it does, do you as an appraisal care about that no we, we're looking at a definition of an appraisal is an opinion of value as of a specified day and time supported by pertinent data. So opinion of value so supported opinion by pertinent data. value based, based on nope. data, and that data isn't what they have into it. The data is the comparables that have right. sold How, and or on the market, or just sold. Right, principal, principal substitution. If not this at this price, what else is available? Uh, and so people are definitely gonna look at what else is available before they make a decision of this size. And 
if you're overpriced, it's going to show. Okay, so you have a house at, let's just say, one, two, three, estate way. There's no, I'm making up a number for the sake of this, it's a $5 million property. There are no four or $6 million properties that have even remotely sold in several years in this community. What, without having specifics, what, what are you looking at? Are you going to look at, okay, I'm looking in the community, there's no sales, then do you, then you go, you know, how, talk yeah. to me a little bit about okay. that. Well, earlier in, in, in your presentation here, you talked about when you compared the 10 pr highest price sales in Illinois listings with AVMs, the radical difference uh, of value, 23% for Michael Jordan's, for example, it's an mm -hmm. ironic number. That's, I know, that's why I remembered it. Yeah, uh, but th the thing that's so unique about that is the AVMs are built off of a mass number of housing, which is not even remotely comparable. Some of them would fit in the garage of Michael Jordan's house. In fact, most of them could. So that you're starting from a lower price point you're starting with properties, they're comparing it to properties that simply are not comparable. So when we've appraised uh, multi-million dollar properties, we did one earlier this year in this southwest, extreme southwest suburbs. Uh, 5.1 million was the sales price of a 10,000 square foot house. I had comparables, I think my average distance of comparable sales was somewhere in the 12 to 15 mile range because there was simply nothing closer. So uh, those are difficult assignments and it takes special techniques to come up with a, a reasonable way to value that property. You simply can't take a 10,000 square foot house compared to a 5,000 square foot house. There's no credibility in that. Mm -hmm. So you need to find another 10,000 square foot house. So you have to go where those are. So obviously, it, Hinsdale has some, Oak Brook has some, Naperville had one or two. So now we have the differences of Hinsdale, Oak Brook, Naperville versus way southwest suburbs. And for those of you that don't know, these aren't communities that are really necessarily next to each other. So right. Mark's going outside of the scope of the area. And that's right. basically where I'm going with you. Right. When there isn't the data to support a price, make sure you're dealing with an appraiser that A, specializes in residential, but B, can think outside the box. Right. Um, we're not, we're not, we're, take umbrage with your support of price because we're not in the, price supporting business. No, where, when I say support you know, a price, right. but, but what I guess I'm trying to say is if, if you know, if the data is, yeah. isn't there, but you as a licensed professional, not just you, but as, as also as an agent, you know, you believe, um, you know, in a certain range it's worth, right. uh, ultimately, as you know, the market dictates uh, Ultimately, value. everything's comparable to something. You have to logically compare it to something. So to me, comparing a 5,000 square foot house to a 10,000 square foot house is not credible. So you can go find a 10,000 square foot house, but now we have these massive location disparities. Yeah. So you can look in, in Hinsdale right now, residential land goes for $60 a square foot. So you go to Naperville and residential land goes for $35 a square foot. Okay, let's stop right there. So that's something else that uh, you have to factor in when you're dealing with a value of a house is the land cost, right? There's certain values, you're just talking about one uh, community, $35 a square foot, right? Mm -hmm. For land versus 60, almost twice the amount. So there's a lot of different factors into it. It's not just the bricks and mortar, it, there's land, there's all these different factors. So you bring up some, some really uh, uh, good points. Talk to us a little bit about, there's a, a, a term that we've talked off, offline a little bit called AMC. Um, some appraisers, uh, talk to me a little bit about AMC. It's basically yeah. a, um, 
a mortgage uh, appraisal management company. Management company. Right. So some of these appraisers uh, on certain properties, for example, if you represent a, se a seller and a buyer is represented by the appraiser, not represented, but a buyer is going to get a loan, you want to know a little bit about this appraisal management company that this this lender works with, right? Because yeah. some significantly are more conservative than others. Yeah, but the, the big thing is it's a middleman between the appraiser and the lender. So the appraiser cannot be manipulated by a loan officer, a realtor, or whoever. We're supposed to be as independently as we, as independent as we possibly can be. So they have this middleman. Uh, some appraisal company, AMCs, will take an appraisal order farm it out to appraisers and whoever gives them the lowest bid, that's who they will take. And then the difference between their bid to the lender and what the, they pay the appraiser is what they get to keep for their profit and, and expenses. And so uh, there are numerous, numerous AMCs out there and some are very appraisal friendly where they, they may take as little as $50. Some will take as much as, you know, as much as they can get. So. So AMC, um, these appraisal management companies, is a term that uh, you, you might want to consider uh, when doing some research. The other thing you're talking a little bit about is, is dollars. Um, in today's day and age, in 2019, do, are there more licensed appraisers overall or less than there were five to ten years ago? There, we're, we've been falling annually. Uh, there, there are fewer today than there were 10 years ago, for sure. Because of the government regulation, right, Dodd-Frank, right. as well as how much you can make? The, the, the way, uh, f first of all, it started way back in the, in the early 80s when the Appraisal Institute uh, seceded from the National Association of Realtors. Prior to that, we were hand-in-hand in, hand in a lot of things, but in the mid-80s, the president of National Association of Realtors said they wanted to be the sole, <laughs> sole voice for real estate uh, and the appraiser said, no, no, we have to speak on valuation issues. And they said, no, you don't. And we said, well, yeah, we do. And next thing you know, we're seceding. In the process, we cut off our lobbying arm. So we are probably the weakest organization in all professions, I think, out there right now. And then coupled with FIREA, which that's where licensing came from. And then when licensing was set up, uh, the use, use paper, I'm sorry, the appraisal qualifications board Stayed, stepped in and said, you have to do this. And, and in the process, they basically killed the apprentice programs for almost all appraisal companies, which that stopped the feeding system for people to become appraisers. So the average appraiser is older in age, we talked about. Over 60. Over 60. Over 60 in 30, the state of 36, Illinois. Uh, I, met, I met a girl the other day, she's 36 years old. I think she's the, she's the youngest type of appraiser I've met in 10 years, <laughs> at least. So it's a, it's a, it's a growing... Uh, it's not a gro it's a growing age, but a dying breed. The appraiser. So make sure you're dealing with someone like Mark. Having an appraiser that you rely on, that you can talk to, uh, is really important. And that's really part of what I, I, I want to talk um, about today. And just remind you is get a licensed appraiser that you like and you trust. I didn't do Mark good enough justice on the introduction. So Mark gets a, a lot of these difficult assignments, new construction. Um, uh, you know, unique properties, refinances, and so forth. And so that's one of the reasons I have Mark on today is because he does license appraisal work in Illinois, but fill in the blank in New York and Florida, wherever you're at, build a relationship with an appraiser that understands appraisal work, understands high-end and unique properties. And that's really what we're doing. So to review, again, 
value. Doesn't matter what I think. Doesn't at the end of the day, yours is an opinion of value. That's all it is. Two or three different appraisers, right. and there could be two or three different values. Yep. Right. Theoretically, they should be relatively close in, in range, but they will be different. Okay. So uh, uh, an appraisal is an opinion of value. Okay. There's a lot more teeth and more believability and credibility to a licensed appraiser um, who gives a, an opinion of value versus a real estate agent's CMA. And so that's where I would recommend if you have a seller that's maybe not realistic, they think the home is worth X and you think it's only worth Y, bring in a licensed appraisal and they might have you know, the, the numbers that bring that seller down to a realistic number. So again, want to review a little bit some of the things we've talked about. Again, if you have any questions, feel free to shoot me an email, michael at marketingluxurygroup.com. But let's just review. Again, the four factors to determine value. Number one, scarcity. Number two, utility. Number three, desirability. And number four, purchasing power. We talked about a term you probably never heard of, matched pairs. Looking at a community, looking at two similar properties. One hasn't done much. The other has done significantly updating. Again, especially in those difficult markets when you're talking about high-end and luxury, those properties will sell quicker for more money if you do the work versus if you didn't. Again, there's a term that stagers use and interior designers called timeless classics. So when you're talking to your client, you don't want to put bold colors or do anything outlandish. You don't want to be blah either, but you want to use timeless classics to appeal to a larger broad of potential buyers. So matched pairs is something we talked about. And last but not least, I like to use a term that's called luxury, uh, like a luxury analysis report. So when I'm going on an appointment and it's a unique property and there's no two real comps in the area, I like to give what a luxury snapshot, I've used the term, luxury analysis report. So I pull other similar properties in a price point standpoint, but maybe not similar price point from a comp standpoint because you might offend the seller if it's unique, one of a kind, etc. So, for that being said, uh, this is the expert interview with Mark Morgan, a luxury appraiser. He appraises unique properties, but he's a residential appraisal versus a field variety appraisal. If you have any questions, send them to Michael at MarketingLuxuryGroup.com. And if you want more information on our certification, go to LuxuryListingSpecialist.com, where we make available this example of matched pairs. The other thing that looks very powerful is if you go on an appointment and you have appraisals um, in your database of properties you've sold or you've represented, it gives street credibility, so to speak. And one visual that I like to use from several mm -hmm. years ago, Mark provided this with me, he basically dissected some of the highest priced sales, $5 million and above in the Chicagoland market. And we basically, through Kinko's and, and, uh, put, and putting this laminator on them, we, uh, we put this together so when I go on an appointment, I've done the research on the data ahead of time. I'm showing up differently than the competition, and it kind of looks weird. They're wondering what the heck this is, and, and when I start talking about it, it's a way to, to be memorable a little bit. So, again, if you have any questions, let us know. You should have a licensed appraiser in your database that you like and you trust. This is my guy. Remember, it's not the market. It's the marketing. Michael Lapito. Take care.